thought of it this way when you said Baby Driver is so clearly an Edgar Wright film I think you're absolutely right um, like if you you could say absolutely Edgar Wright <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionwall, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're going to talk about Baby Driver. Yes, and uh, as always, if you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter at the Story Toolkit, and we've got the website, thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com, and you can email us direct through there if you want us to change our ways. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about um, Baby Driver and um, the guy who wrote and directed it, Edgar Wright. This is another one of our sort of where we dip our toes on directors. Yeah, uh, and styles. We've got uh, we did t- uh, Quentin Tarantino one, and we and did the Coens brothers. Um, and it's just like just sort of a I guess a, a primer on their kind of style because often um, people have very distinctive stylistic choices. Um, you have to kind of you have to fit their stylistic choices to appreciate their work. If you, like uh, we, we, with Edgar Wright, for example, we, we we were just before recording this. We went and watched the opening of Baby Driver, and Luke, who has a musical mind, and I don't, I missed so much <laughs> of the film because Edgar Wright does something very few people do, which is he merges sound and visual to an almost indistinguishable um, composition, and so. If you if you're not used to that, you often pay attention to what you're hearing or what you're seeing, but you don't necessarily link the two quite. Mm. Even though the, it's working, it doesn't work <clears> at a certain <throat> level, you know. So it's one of those nice things where, like, if you pay attention, if you actually acknowledge how someone, how a writer director thinks, uh, and how they see the world, you can appreciate their work. It's funny with ba- with with Baby jo- Driver in particular. The the opening scene is yeah. the or the opening sequence is the bank robbery and car chase. Right? Yeah, and I thought, okay, th- this is nice. This is clearly going to be yeah good fun. Followed by this the scene which will break down in a bit of detail, um, the credit scene. Yeah, um, which is just like a music video. And that when I when I saw it first, I noticed all these little yeah bits. I can pick like, up on that, it. That's when I I knew I was in for something yeah. special. Yeah, he's um, he's really great, and uh, it's and the thing is, it's like you know, we talked when we talked about the Coens, we explained that their sort of nihilism is part of the part Nihilous, of their st- dude. Yeah, <laughs> they believe in nothing. Uh, it's part of their choices of structure. So people expect sort of more meaningful climaxes than they give. Hmm. They kind of pitter out in a way, and uh, Tarantino constantly merges uh, traumatic violence with cartoonish violence which makes people some people confused as to when they're supposed to be laughing and so on so it's one of those things and Edgar Wright is almost almost you could say is almost an assault on the senses <laughs> right uh, but it's not it's not like um, it's not like some people like uh, like Michael Bay um, it's not like that uh, because Michael Bay <sighs> You, you, the best, the best theory I've heard you give on Michael Bay is yeah. is Michael Bay's um, uh, cone of action, <laughs> just the the cone of action between whatever has exploded 
there's this this cylinder yes. of debris that is travelling directly towards the camera and yes. if the camera sidestepped one metre to the left or right then it would be fine yes uh, that's not my theory though oh is it not no, yours no that's Adam's ah uh, from Atlanta that was what he told me <laughs> um, yeah I, I thought that was brilliant um so the thing is like um what what Edgar Wright does is he com- it's almost what's the f- uh, synesthesia do you know what synesthesia is I don't teach me synesthesia <laughs> is this thing where people hear colors or see sounds okay. the senses get mixed up it's kind of like that because you're hearing and seeing things at the same time they're so merged hmm. so it's, so I can imagine that someone who maybe doesn't appreciate Edgar Wright finds it almost like an assault because all their senses are active yeah but actually it's it's not it's not an assault it's actually really well done in fact there's a bit where we're talking about um off mic the bit at the uh towards the end the hocus pocus scene i've got that to yeah, discuss actually. where he slows down the music yeah. that's actually an emphasis right you slow down the music it makes it quieter he's constantly shifting up the volume of music and transitions and so on so it's actually really carefully composed mm. but i can imagine because it's such a distinctive style that some people might well it's it might fun. be like whoa this is too much but i think it's i think like, it's wonderful like the other directors we've we chose yes. to talk about um uh, edgar Wright's perhaps not as much so but the, the other guys are certainly divisive yeah and it is uh, these styles are something that you, you you buy into and you love or actually they're just not for you well the thing is yeah edgar Wright has i think a smaller audience than tarantino or yes. the coens right or the coens have quite a small audience actually as well well Ed- edgar Wright's audience is just getting bigger and bigger right? it is though it deserves to be yeah uh, but it's it's what i'm thinking like why doesn't why is his appeal a bit smaller and it's like is it because he hasn't had a big hit or is it also possibly that maybe some people just can't click with it because it's such a fantastic merging of these constant things and in fact in the stories that he's done with the exception of Baby Driver not only is he merging sound and visual but he's merging reality and fantasy and imagination he's constantly merging things and so I can imagine for some people if you uh, it's almost like if you blink you might forget where you are (laughs) <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? It's almost like that, uh, but I, I think he's one. Before before we get into the real meat of it, though, um, <clears throat> we would recommend yes the videos. Yeah, there's two videos on YouTube. Uh, one is by Nerdwriter One, video essayist, uh, and he talks about Scott Pilgrim and tra- transitions. Uh-huh. And uh, Tony Zhu's Every Frame of Painting talks about Edgar Wright and visual comedy. Uh, sadly, Tony Zhu is no longer doing Every Frame of Painting. Uh. which is really upsetting because he's wonderful uh, they're both very good video essayists uh, Nerdwriter talk, it has a more uh, uh, what do you call it um, what's the word he, he doesn't talk just about film he talks about things oh okay he talks about politics talks about right. other things so he, he'll, he'll jump around topics every frame of painting was specifically about directing um, and I think um, that every frame of painting in particular is I think magnificent so I'm very sad to hear that it's stopped but they're worth they're worth they're worth listening to um, for, for 15 minutes of your time yeah both both of them together are 15 minutes yeah totally worth it um very very good and um and they can express a lot of things we can't because they're using video so they can show you what Edgar yes. Wright's doing yeah as they explain it to you which we can't do um but yeah 
It's wonderful. They're wonderful works. So uh, let let's get into Baby Driver. Can you synopsize briefly? Uh, I guess I can. It's been a while since I saw it. I'm worried I'm going <laughs> to miss bits. Uh, you should do it. <laughs> Famously, I am excellent okay. at synopsis. Fine. Uh, baby Driver is about uh, a driver who is a baby, and uh, it's a very bizarre setup. Wait, it's, it's baby boss. <laughs> baby boss. Oh, wait, I've got them confused. Sorry. Uh, no, uh, baby driver uh, is about a young uh, man who is a getaway driver uh, for some robbers, and these robbers work for Kevin Spacey. So what Kevin Spacey does is he hires a group of robbers, uh, and then Baby's there. That's the character's name, Baby. And Baby is the getaway driver. They go through the plan, he waits in the car, and then he drives the getaway, okay? Uh, and the reason Baby Driver has to do this, he has a deaf uh, uncle, I think? Who, 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 no, is he his uncle? I'm not sure, he's looking after an old deaf man. I can't remember uh, what the relationship was. Uh, but anyway, the um, the point is his parents were killed in a car accident, and this old man has looked after him. And the reason Baby is a getaway driver is what he did in the backstory is he robbed from Kevin Spacey without realizing who Kevin Spacey was. And so Kevin Spacey has basically offered him a way of not being killed. And the way it works is he does getaway drives and every score he makes, the vast, vast majority of it, Kevin Spacey keeps. So for example, say you would split the thing four ways, uh, Baby's share, most of it goes back to Kevin Spacey, so he gets the next, you know, and he keeps a little bit so he can keep, you know, his immunities going. But basically, once he's finished paying off his debt, then he's free. Right? That's that. So that's why he's stuck as this getaway driver. And he's very, very good. He's very good, and he has um, a titness, isn't that right? And he play. So he has. He's constantly listening to music. Tinnitus. Tinnitus. He's constantly playing music on his iPod which is a lovely little nostalgic thing. He's constantly playing music on his iPod um, to sort of drown that out. And because the people in the crew don't really know each other very well, they're always a bit sus of Baby because he's listening to music while they're explaining the plan, but Baby's always on the case. So he does. we see him do a couple of jobs. He finally pays off his debt. He starts falling in love with this uh, diner waitress played by Lily James. And... Um, and, it, and it's, it's a nice film, it's building very nicely, and Baby Driver pays off his debt, but he's still got to do driving for Kevin Spacey, because Kevin Spacey is not letting his best getaway driver, who's never had anything go wrong, he's never letting him off the hook. So Baby Driver is trapped in this world, he can't get out, and uh, one of the big things for him is that people don't get killed. They go in with guns, but no one gets killed. They go in, they take the stuff, they get in the car, they drive off, done. And he's very good at driving away, so he gets away without anyone really getting hurt. And the, he's casing a joint for Kevin Spacey, and he realises that there's a very nice woman in there who's probably going to get killed when they do the job, because uh, one of the people on the thing is Jamie Foxx, and Jamie Foxx killed a bunch of people in a previous one. He's a loose cannon, right? So he knows Jamie Foxx can't be trusted not to kill people. There's a bit where they pull over at a diner before the job. Him, 
John Hamm and the woman whose name I forget and Baby Driver and that's when Jamie Foxx realises that the waitress at this diner Baby is is, uh, interested in and so Jamie Foxx is becoming this guy who is really terrifying Baby Driver because he's trapped in this criminal world and there's this murderer now who's completely crazy who can't be trusted who has killed people for no real reason already and they're about to do another job which will probably get more people killed and there's a good chance that this guy will come maybe and even kill the waitress so he's getting really paranoid about this they're about to do the job the woman is coming to work Uh, they're parked outside the back the woman is coming into the post office where they're going to do the job they're all in the car baby driver looks at her and gives her this look like you know shaking his head and stuff as in don't go into work today and she's looking in the car and she can see that there's trouble coming so she goes back and she gets a cop and this of course starts to make everything go wrong and so now the job can't happen and if it does happen more people are going to die it's all going wrong and he's looking at Jamie Foxx and he just realises what's going to happen Jamie Foxx is going to go off the chain kill people whatever so he drives the car with them all in it straight forward into a pickup truck that has a giant iron girder killing Jamie Foxx immediately (laughs) okay so he's dead and this results in the police showing up because they've all got (laughs) these enormous machine guns and you get this amazing foot chase through a mall into uh, cars baby uh, manages to escape but in the escape uh, the woman is killed and John Hamm is now psychotic because the woman he loved is dead he kills a bunch of cops and he comes after baby and he comes after the diner waitress and uh, and so there's this big showdown at the end between baby Lily James, John Hamm uh, and uh, it ultimately ends with John Hamm being killed uh, baby gets arrested and put in prison but everyone who he tried to help and his whole effort to make sure that no one else got hurt uh, gets him a lenient sentence. The fact that he gives himself up gets him a lenient sentence. Also, Kevin Spacey's dead. He gets killed during the whole thing as well by John Hamm. So he's out of this whole thing. And um, as a result, uh, he's in prison for a few years. He gets out on good behavior or something. And Lily James is waiting for him. They get in the car and they drive off uh, to have a happily ever after ending. And it's it's very nice film. It's really lovely. Um, I remember, <clears throat> I remember being excited. Yes, watching it. It's very exciting. It's for the the action sequences yeah. in it are, so, are really really great. You're very good. Um, okay, first it's I know you wanted to talk about the writer director. Yeah. So um, so Baby Driver I only saw once and I enjoyed it. But uh, my favorite Edgar Wright stuff is Spaced and Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is by by a huge margin my favorite thing he's done. I you rate it above Shaun of the Dead. I love Hot Fuzz. Really, I love Hot Fuzz. I can't get enough of it. It's my fa- one of my favorites. Um, but I'm, I I thought Baby Driver is interesting to talk about, obviously because it's new, mm. but also because um, it's a it's what's interesting is it's quintessentially Edgar Wright, and yet it's not like anything he's done before. And so I thought that'd be interesting to talk about that distinctiveness that's Edgar Wright yet it's not an Edgar Wright story because if you look at Edgar Wright's work it's almost always comedies that are in some way fantastic in some way they're either um, you mean fantastic in the fantasy sense in the fantasy sense there's fantastic in like um, in space there's this whole like they keep blurring reality with homages to pop culture Mm. and films Uh, Shaun of the Dead is a zombie film Hot Fuzz, similarly, 
has this element where it's a very mundane world that has a sort of Michael Bay <laughs> Wicker Man thing at the heart of it mm. with almost a supernatural serial killer in it mm. um, and um, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world you know is essentially a people live in a video game almost mm. um, and Ant-Man which he didn't do but was going to do superhero film right world's end is a post-apocalypse world whatever so aliens right oh yeah it's aliens isn't it yeah mm. alien robots and things like that smashy smashy Eggman yeah. <laughs> uh, right so uh, so, but Baby Driver is none of those things it's not really a comedy it's not even uh, a dramedy uh, like uh, Scott Pilgrim mm. it's this is a this is a drama it's a, it's, um, it's light but it's not funny mm. um, right there's no jokes really in it no I don't I, I don't recall there might be one or two it's got wit, wit. Yeah. yeah but it's not funny it's no. not a comedy at all um, and so it's a seri- it's a drama it's just light there's a distancing from it because one of the reasons why it's exciting uh, is because all that music and all that play is kind of it distances you emotionally a little bit because it's so it's so vivid almost so over the top mm. you can't lose yourself in the world in that way because you're too busy you're too aware of the fact that things are changing in front of you the scene changes are so they're they're bizarrely it's a bizarre thing they're invisible and yet obvious does that make sense yeah sounds like a paradox but it's it's that's how it is it's funny that you he, don't notice what he's doing but you are aware that he's doing he's doing something that it's composed you you're very aware it's composed it's funny that you and theatrical you I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it this way when you said baby driver is so clearly an Edgar Wright film I think you're absolutely right um, like if you you could say absolutely Edgar Wright <laughs> exactly what I should have said I'm kicking myself now um, if you if you were to take um, I mean I know they met, they mentioned this in the uh, in the, the, the the comedy YouTube video which yeah. we mentioned at the start of the podcast yeah the every frame of painting yeah yeah um, if you take any of the sort of generic um, American comedies of the moment yes you, re- you really wouldn't be able to tell who directed what no Right, you but would. you look at, but you take an Edgar Wright, you take a couple of sequences from an Edgar Wright movie, and just from the transitions and the way he uses sound, yeah, um, you can just very tell. obviously just in the way that if you looked at, um, you know, a Turner painting, you'd know it would turn right, or you know, um, yeah, you just know, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely, um, and so the, the, the but it, the the reason you know is is not because like that's not the case say with Tarantino or the Combs where their style is a distancing mechanism. You don't get distanced from their work because of it. Uh, because no. they hide their composition so it's almost completely invisible. Edgar Wright hides the specifics, but you can tell it's composed. Mm. You're very aware it's composed. So, for example, the, 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 the chase scene at the end, the foot chase, right, is played to hocus pocus. Mm. You, you can't fall completely immersed into that the way you could say with something that was had no music playing at all because you're just too aware like the bullets are timed with the music and stuff right you're too it's it's this like that's the queen scene in Shaun of the Dead right okay yeah yeah. it's it's so composed that emotionally you're slightly distanced and that's important Mm -hmm. to keep something light you know, that, do you see what I'm saying? It's not. It's not a detriment. It's specifically to make something light. How do you? How do you keep? Because lightness means that you can 
it's it's like um not everything has to be super dark and brooding and drawing you in as deep as possible sometimes you want to keep things light for an action story you want to keep things light so it stays exciting it doesn't become scary and harrowing yeah. it's so that you can have that thrill you need that distance so how it's do you the make... lion in the cage isn't it yeah it's the, yeah the, yeah the tiger in the cage the no, tiger in the yeah, cage, yeah yeah the cage is boring the tiger's scary put the tiger in the cage now it's exciting yeah it's that thing you need a little bit of safety and distance and edgar wright's composition is ha- is a distancing mechanism it's interesting. I uh, yeah. yeah. I so so it's not it's not it's not um because people think oh you know oh you should just be fully, dis you know fully uh, immersed into everything and say so, well comedy doesn't want you to be immersed so it's his 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 composition is brilliant because it lets him for comedy it lets him um distance you from from the story a bit emotionally mm. so that you can laugh. Similarly with Baby Driver, it's a distancing so you can become excited. It's uh, uh, that, so that's um, that's just a sort of technique that happens. That's the thing that happens when he uses these sort of uh, synchronous. Yeah, I don't, and again, I only just realised that he uses shots that you just shouldn't, not shouldn't, but mm. people don't use in comedies. No, right? Comedies you need distance, so it's medium shots. Right, right. Yeah, but, but he doesn't use close-ups. Close-ups all the time. But all he the uses time. them to get a laugh. Right. Exactly. Ah oh, man. Okay. Right. Well, let's get into um, some yeah. specifics so, but, then. But also, hold on. The the thing is, uh, the other reason I was saying. Look, so this is what he normally does. But oh, yeah, writer sorry. directors. Um, pe- so writing and directing are two different kinds of artistic. One directing is sort of an interpretive thing. You take material and then you interpret it and finish it. Writing is originating the material. Right. So they're definitely two. They're the two kinds of talents and not the same skill set so because interpretive is different to creative so writer people who do the creating and the interpreting such as say a novelist right someone who has to pick the words the final words and everything Mm. Uh, but when you have films you have actors and you have directors and so on people who do all of it their range is often quite small they don't normally step outside their, their their little world so the fact that Edgar Wright has done a non-fantasy non-comedy action crime drama is is really remarkable because as I say like Quentin Tarantino's films are pretty much very very, very similar mm. in, not, not in a derivative sense I mean they're similar in tone and in Feeling. Same with the Cohen brothers, right? They kind of tread the same well. They don't. The Cohens kind of switch between doing crazy quirk, nihilistic drama, and that's it. Mm. They just they just kind of switch between those two modes, right? So some people really like one mode and not the other, and vice versa. Tarantino's films are always almost the same, right? There's this sort of sort of grindhouse exploitation feel to them all. And that's what he does. Edgar Wright though has suddenly done something that isn't a comedy, and he's done it very well. And you don't, you don't normally get this, uh, because uh, my my thinking was like if you're a comic book writer and a comic book artist, you draw and write your own work, and you hate horses, you don't do a western, you just don't do it. You might now a writer might come out, I really want to do a western, uh, so they hire someone who can draw horses, or an artist might go, I really want to do a western, so they might find a writer who wants to write one, but uh, a writer and an artist because they have to do everything. So writer, director, he has to do everything. He doesn't just write it, he has to direct it. 
and we talked about this with Shane Black, who's another excellent writer-director, right? Shane Black. I mean, Shane Black's Love films Shane are Black. always crime Christmas stories, right? With, <laughs> Why with, Christmas? Right? Every time. <laughs> but they, they, because they know that they have to film everything, they, can't, they haven't got the time to have these sort of, well, well I'm just going to go to a place I've never been before because they have to actually make it. And so they're constantly thinking about how they're going to do it. Sometimes a writer, because you know you've got a director you trust or whatever, so it's, it's really funny sometimes you hear, like particularly in the world of comics, I've heard stories where a writer will write something and they have given zero thought to how the artist is going to actually draw this, right? And the artist is like, oh, like that. It's like, right, one of the things that write, comic writers do is they write crowd scenes. And an artist is like, every crowd scene is essentially three times the work, right? <laughs> because I have to draw everyone's face, right? It's just, I have to draw all these crowds. It's that kind of thing, whereas uh, someone who does both knows yeah. this stuff, or at least someone who's very involved in that process understands this stuff. So they, they so they, they, they so write, people who are like writer-directors, writer-artists, whatever, uh, writer-actors, they don't have the time to study new areas and research that other people do because they spend more time working if that makes sense, mm. um, and so it's just a natural—it's just a natural inclination. I mean, people go to the same well of inspiration again and again because that's how you see life. That's how you do things. So it's just—it's some—it's something quite interesting. And uh, people at Edgar Wright are really, really rare that you get writer directors. Um, they're rare. They just are. Um, to have both those talents in a person is it's just rare. Um, He's—I mean—he's not like—he's not like, um, he's not like uh, Michael Bay. Uh, or uh, Zack Snyder, who are very see Edgar Wright is a is a master of kinetics. He's just a master of it, uh, more so than Tarantino, more so than um, than the Coens or anyone else. And by that you mean the 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 actual mo- movements, movements mm. in the shots, how things move, blocking things. Wes Anderson is excellent at it, right? But ex- Wes Anderson stages. Everything's precise, symmetrical, uniform, right? I, so yeah. he has these movements, but they're very, uh, very sort of um, static movements. I was going to say that's the big difference between yeah. the two. He's right? a master of static, yeah. right? <laughs> Whereas Edgar Wright's a master of kinesis. He knows how to move things in the shot, mm. and and as a result, when he's writing, I mean, just thinking about Baby Driver, the amount of time he must have spent storyboarding everything. I was I was remind uh, the only other person I can think of actually is uh, uh, I think his name's Gareth Evans the guy who directed the raids the two raid films okay that uh, he wrote it too and the way they did the raid is um, they rented out an office room with some chairs and tables they put drapes they got a camera and they filmed every action sequence inside an office building and edited it that's how when they get on set they're ready to shoot it because they didn't just rehearse the movements they had to rehearse the camera <laughs> amazing right yeah yeah and so i'm thinking edgar wright must have sat down with i'm guessing some sort of test footage right and the music and sat there editing to music you know he must have specifically because he had to know those specific tracks inside and out and how to build because it's not just oh I have to have um, what do you call it um, uh, things cut to the music I have to make sure I have enough material in this chase scene to cover the length of the song 
right? Mm. And I have to time everything with the song. And I have to... So there's a huge amount of effort that has to go through. And because there's... he knows he's got to film it, he's writing it, and he's thinking about how he's going to film it. He's got to do the do together. And... Sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say there is a certain amount of editing you can do with a song right. that you wouldn't notice to make it shorter. Correct. Or something. And he doesn't know that stuff. I didn't know the two songs well enough to know whether he'd done that, but it struck me that one scene was two, two and a half minutes, and yeah. the other, I think, was very similar. So mm. it, it, it's possible that he did edit them. Yeah, down uh, yeah to fifth. I, think, still, I think Hocus Pocus is about six and a half minutes. Right. He cut up about two minutes out. Yeah. Um, but I think he cut out the last two minutes. I don't think he edited what was there. I think he oh, just I see, cut. I see. But it, the, it's still restrictive because music yes. comes in sections. Right. So you Ex- still and you have, have to. So you have to understand the comp- the rhythm of the music, the composition of the music, and then you have to... And he's not... The music isn't... See, normally, the way it's done is they film something, it's edited, and then the composer comes in at the last minute, yeah. makes the music to fit the edit. And what's happening with some people who grew up on films is they love the music. And so one of two things happen. They either get famous songs, Tarantino does this, Edgar Wright does this, or they get the composition, the composer, in it very early. Mm. But he, he, all this music he can't change. They're, it's done. Those, those songs are recorded, so he has to work to them. So he has to start really editing these things. So he's a master of these kinetics, the transitions, the movements within the, pit, within the frame. And he's not like Michael Bay or Snyder. Michael Bay is an expert. He's, he really is an expert of composition. He knows how to compose a shot. But the problem is he's morally bankrupt. <laughs> And he has stayed, and what he does is he takes the knowledge he has of co- composition and turns it into pornography. It, that's what it, it's visual pornography. It's um, uh, he calls it that. Really? Yeah, he's called it fucking the frame, right? <laughs> and what I don't, I don't think he fully understands what what he is. Is he's he's directing visual pornography? That's what it is. It's it's these these composed elements. They work because they're titillizing and gratuitous and so on they work because you move the things around I mean Edgar Wright uses some of those tactics in Hot Fuzz as a parody mm. they work when you have that swirling camera around the actors and you know that rotate it works it's got great kinesis yeah. but what Michael Bay does is he uses it just to um, titillize you so it's just porn it's debasing basically mm. uh, Zack Snyder on the other hand doesn't do that Zack Snyder I have a huge amount of respect for now uh, ever since you know he started doing these DC films, because you, I've been paying attention to how he makes a film, and I go, wow, he's, he's, you, he's collaborative. Isn't he's he? extremely collaborative, and he's very, he's very, uh, I think, uh, sincere and sensitive, and he's smart, uh, and he's hardworking and disciplined. And one of the great things about him is, uh, see, someone like Zack Snyder, who's a writer director as well. Writer directors, they need pre-production time. Yeah, they need it. And so one of the problems when they do franchises is if they're part of a factory thing, which is what happened with Ed Grant Ant-Man, it happened with Zack Snyder and Batman v Superman and uh, Justice League, and it happened with um, uh, uh, someone else I've drawn a blank on. doesn't matter. Um, they need pre-production time. They need years. And if, uh, if they don't have it, they can't do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it, it, you just you force them to make decisions before they're ready, and then they end up filming things they don't want to film, uh, Peter Jackson had this problem with The Hobbit. That's what I was thinking of. Right. Uh, they went. They filmed it long before he had the pre-production oh, set. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. So, uh, but Zack Snyder's problem 
is again, he is a master of composition. He knows how to compose a shot, right? He knows he is an excellent cinematographer. He knows lighting. He understands mood. He gets this stuff. The problem with Zack Snyder is he doesn't understand focus. He doesn't know how to focus an audience. Everything he does is super loud. It's always up to 11, right? So everything is loud. And so the audience can't focus on what's important, which is why you lose things like motivation or you lose things like this because everything is so loud all the time. He doesn't know how to dial down and leave something in the subtext. Yeah. Uh, One of the things you can see him do is how does he express that someone is upset? Well, they yell at the top of their lungs. Everyone does this in all of his films. It's like not... You have Henry Cavill, you have Ben Affleck, you have these wonderful actors. They don't need to yell to show they're angry and upset, right? But Zack Snyder, he can't. He doesn't know how to focus. That's the one problem. If he knew how to focus, he, you look at his shots. You know, we talk about every frame of painting. Mm. You could take almost any shot Zack Snyder does, and it's beautiful. He just gets it. It's mm. what you got from doing music videos. He just gets it. But Edgar Wright is is a master. It. He knows how to focus. He knows how to make the kinetics just sing so it's not surprising to see that with Baby Driver how he's basically made this amazing music video essentially what it is right yeah it's just superb um, and so yeah he's the people like this are, are very rare and they're even rarer when they step outside their comfort zone rare enough that out of 70 plus episodes this is only our third focusing on one director third <laughs> What do you mean? Third, it's only the third episode we've done. Like yeah. we've talked about doing more of these episodes. Yeah, but this is only the third time we've actually gone. Well, oh, us practice. stepping up, uh, us. Ah, and and I, 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 I assume mean, yeah, okay. us focusing on one that's what the one that's good enough. Yeah, um, let's talk about a couple of scenes then. Yes. Uh, first, the the opening credit scene, which involves Baby um, leaving the hideout. Walking to the coffee shop. Oh yes, yes, yeah. And then returning. Yeah, the title screen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all that happens, right? Yeah, yeah. We watched that just just before recording, and Luke um, pointed, pointed out, out st- everything that you'd missed. <laughs> yeah, because I was uh, I was distracted. Uh, I was just distracted by watching him move with the music. I didn't pick up things like the lyrics are written all over the set and the walls <laughs> and the floor. I didn't pick up on this stuff. What's What's great? I mean, lyrics is one of the things that. Yeah, one of the the pieces of that scene that I wanted I wanted to focus on, but it's not just that the lyrics are written on the wall. The as the camera moves, the yeah. lyrics pass by center frame right. at the moment where the lyrics are spoken. So if there's a line of lyrics, um, like uh, I think one of them is "Whole Lot of Soul," mm. then at the back of the shot you've got this massive bit of graffiti, people dancing in front, and then as the person says "Soul," the camera part hands past the lamppost and soul is written on the lamppost right. it's like soul boom done yeah. and then he dances on right um, uh, but yeah. that that's done throughout the scene like there's right there's writing on the floor on the walls yes and it was brilliant about it as well as it's one take oh, so yes. yeah. so normally if you want to cut something to a rhythm you cut you use the yeah. you use a cut to help create the rhythm but by because he's focused on doing one take as he does the whole thing, he can't use cuts. He has to get the timing perfect and the camera movement. It's and you can't do that. Just you have, that takes so much rehearsal, so much time. I can't believe they. Go, I I cannot fathom how many practices, how many rehearsals that took. 
yeah. to do one take, yeah. two and a half minutes, <laughs> to make sure they pass every lamppost and every pavement slab on the right beat of the music. And the camera has to get it in focus at the right time. Yeah. It's yeah. bonkers. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. Which explains a... why most comedies or whatever are people, just two people in a room improving, and then in the edit they cut the extraneous bits out, right? Right. Um, it's funny, the editing to music thing. Uh, I went to um, uh, to uni with a guy whose dad uh, won an Oscar mm. for editing Chicago. Mm. And this impressed me. Mm. I was like, oh my God, huh. I'm, I'm at university with royalty. And <laughs> he said, <laughs> he said... His dad said it was no big deal because he edited Chicago and he was like, it's fine, it's easy. You just edit it to the beat of the music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I can, yeah, I can imagine. We're doing it in one take. We're doing it in one take? Yeah, jeez. You don't have the chance to cut away when someone's slightly <laughs> out of time, right? You just can't do it. Um, there's a scene, by the way, there's a scene in Baby Driver I forgot to check. I, I remember when I saw it the first time and I haven't seen it since, that's why. Um, I do want to see Baby Driver again. Um, <laughs> the, the, there's a scene where he's watching the TV, and there's cuts between tele, the cuts between the channels. Does he do it in Baby Driver? Yeah, as he well? does. And I'm like, I bet you that's the plot. I hadn't, and I hadn't seen the film. I'm watching, <laughs> you know, I'm watching the film this time. I'm like, I bet you that's the plot because I know that's an Edgar Wright trick. Yes, he likes to do that. He likes to, he, one of the things that Edgar Wright loves doing uh, is he loves to put things in that you will not notice the first time mm. but you will notice them upon repeated viewing he's someone like Tarantino he's one of those but actually I want to point something out about Tarantino in a second he's one of those people who grew up watching the same film again and again and again and studying it and so he embeds in it invisibly for people to catch the next time they watch it mm. he knows that I, everything is so specifically detailed you don't need to see any of this stuff, but the next time you watch it, you'll pick up on all this stuff. Um, or and... have a friend point it out to you. Right? Exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, 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 I wanted to mention about Tarantino. Tarantino actually gave Edgar Wright advice for this film. Really? Yeah. Uh, they were talking, and Tarantino said gave him advice. And the advice he gave him was watch, and then he gave him the title of like some unknown film from '73 or something. He went, watch how they do the car chase. He basically, he because you know he told him what film he was doing, and, and Tarantino is this encyclopedia of films, yeah. and just went, oh, here's an example of brilliant car chase choreography. Yeah. And apparently Edgar Wright studied the film, and that's why, I can't that's, remember the name of the film. That's why the car chase is It's just amazing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you don't lose... Um, you don't lose clarity. You know exactly where everyone is during the car chases, despite that it's very high. You know, I talk about Master of Kinetics, right? Yeah. You know exactly where everyone is at all times, despite the fact that everyone's moving in an almost chaotic fashion. He's ma- and he didn't just rip off Bullet. No, he's ma- <laughs> he's or made the French Connection. He's made um, a new movie using uh, an action cliche, right? Car chase. Yeah, I mean it's something yeah. that's it, it's I know something that's spent. Yeah, it's been done loads of times, yeah. and like it's still like what are the best ones: French Connection and Bullet. Right. And so Tarantino is like, well, here's a because like, Tarantino is one of those guys who gets like kernels of great ideas for films from old films that just didn't work, and turns them into these cinematic, yeah, fi- like experiences. They're just amazing films, and he so he just went, here's here's something for you, and Edgar Wright studied it and made this great film out of it. 
Well, I mean, he made the film out of it, but you yeah. know what I mean. He he studied it and used the principles that he learned from it to make. Used this. the tools. Yeah, the tools. It was great. Um, so other bits in that scene worth pointing out. Um, the actions baby takes follow the lyrics as well. Yeah. So when the lyrics say turn right, he turns right. What's yes. interesting about that bit is he turns right, then the camera turns right. You see, someone well. like me who isn't familiar with the song, I don't know the lyrics. I only knew the lyrics because they were on screen <laughs> and, and being blasted. Oh, that's true, ears, yeah. Right? But also, you have much more musical sense than I do. So you didn't know he was walking in time with the music? Oh no, I could tell he was. I could tell he was moving with the music. Okay, but I don't have. I don't have that. His, foot, consci- his footsteps were in time with the music. Yeah, I, the I, whole scene, by the way. And what's better as well <laughs> is when Deborah. Yeah, I think it's Deborah. The, yeah. The. Um, the, the the waitress that he falls in love with later yeah um, she walks past the coffee yeah. house and catches baby's eye so it's the first time they meet yeah that they that well, he sees her she's walking in time with the music as everyone's well. walking in time with everything that- I bet you the way they do that as well is they have the um they have the music playing in the earphones yeah right because yeah. uh, I remember when they made Amadeus uh, Salieri he has to talk about the music of Mozart and he's hearing the music play. Uh, and of course they play it in the film so he's yeah. talking about the music you hear the music and Salia is talking about it but they have to make sure that the actor F. Murray Abraham is perfectly in time with the Mozart music how did they do that? well they put a tiny little earpiece in it in his ear that you can't see on screen because obviously he doesn't wear headphones Salieri right yeah. <laughs> little earpiece and he's got the music there so he knows exactly how to time it perfectly so I'm guessing they all had Earplugs. Well, baby's uh, wearing earplugs. He's wearing earplugs. Very easy to do. Screen. But they might. Have, they might have also. The camera operator might have had it. Yeah. Uh, just to make sure everyone, because you you need kind of everyone has to kind of be able to dance almost. You know, I just, yeah exactly to hold That's that it. pacing. I mean, it is it is just a wonderful two and a half minute music video. Um, yeah. There's uh, what, a, a bit I hadn't realised um, until just now, when he gets to the coffee house and he takes his earphones out, the music drops, and yes. all of a sudden you can hear the natural sounds around him. Yeah. The diegetic sounds. Yes, yes. This yes. is a word, a word I relearned today. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks, every frame of painting. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> you've got that. Uh, there's his line is in time with the music yes. um, when he delivers his one line uh, or yeah, one, yeah, one of yeah. his few lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Right. Yeah. I like that. Um, and there's the cool sight gag as well with the trumpet. Yeah. Oh, There's yeah. A trumpet that's... in the song. He walks past a music uh, a music shop and he stops and mimes like he's playing the trumpet, but he's stood wonderfully in line with this trumpet that's at the right angle. And, and it then... says brass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he strolls on. It's just yeah. it's just a joy, right? Yeah. Uh, I think so. I loved it. Um, but that is that. But but those tools they are just it's quintessentially Edgar Wright. Like you could watch that and yeah. you know that that's Edgar Wright. And it's a setup. As well, that scene because it sets up the foot chase. Ah, oh, which is the, the the yeah the hocus pocus scene. This which is, is a, the other one. We this is the kind of about. thing you can expect to see in this world: is someone, uh, people being perfectly in time with music, right? Yeah, that's playing on someone's iPod. And what's, what's, the, yeah, the hocus pocus foot chase is exa- is, is is a more serious version of that scene. What's great about the hocus pocus scene as well is that the the energy of that music is so intense yes and so you feel that anyway listening to that yes. song right so when the song drops so the, the this is the it's the chase on foot mm. um um 
So he's being chased by the police. Yeah, this through, is after he's killed Jamie Foxx. Yeah, through the park, through a mall, um, and then into the car park, and then yeah. um, that's where the, the, the scene resolves. <clears throat> um, so as he's running, you've got this really high-intensity music. So if you were just listening to that music, you would feel yeah. that emotion. But, all really on, like that yeah, but on screen, you've got that. Um, uh, that wonderful foot chase, yeah, uh, which we'll talk a bit more and the thing about. Is, but when the music breaks down, because Hocus Pocus has those sections in it, yeah. where the beat um, uh, disappears and it goes into that odd little yodeling section, yeah, um, and it's just keys in the background and it's a breather, uh, it's a breather in the music, and that is mm. when Baby hides behind a tree and catches his breath. Right, yes, so he catches his breath as you do. And then he carries on when the music kicks back in, and like, loved it. Yeah, loved that scene. And I also, what a lot of people I think who would watch that film would take from it is like, oh, I should have a set piece like that. Mm. Unaware that the opening scene with the brass and everything, it this is only tolerable because you opened with that. Yeah. Right, because can you imagine if you the film was straight and then that happened at the end? So out of place. Not it would be laughable. Yeah, it'd be stupid. You just go, "This is ridiculous," and you wouldn't buy it. You, it would get a laugh just like the Queen scene in Shaun of the Dead. No, it wouldn't get a laugh like that because that's supposed to be funny. (laughs) Okay, not a laugh like it. I mean, um, uh, just as you laugh. I know it's not the same type of laugh, but it would get. Yeah, it would get. It would get bad. It also gets a. Yeah, it gets a laugh in Shaun of the Dead because it's it's funny. So out of place. Yeah, it's out of place, but funny. Yeah, because uh, it's 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 playing up the absurdity of what's going on, right? Right. So but this that, this I mean. is it like, would seem absurd, just like yeah, and it would it would be it would be such a mistake, and that's what a lot of people might think of it. They, they don't realize like, oh wow, look at that great scene. It's like that scene isn't just a great scene. It has to be. It's a payoff, right? He has to set up the tone, the 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 kind of filmmaking that he's doing it has to be set up. You can't just go, oh yeah, we're gonna have this crazy thing. The first time we see a scene like that, right? Um, with um, with with this opening thing, it's a very light-hearted scene. Mm. It's it's very light. It's fun, you know. It's not exciting. It's fun. Do, 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 do. So you get you've got that half of it done. That's exactly and, how the song sounds, by the exactly. way. Exactly. And before that, you have the car chase, the opening car chase. Yeah. And it's not cut to music in the same way. It is cut to music, but not in the same way. No. And so it's not as uh, obvious. So when he combines the two at the end. It's it's like a, a big crescendo as opposed to uh, just this weird out of place stylistic choice. Yeah. Every cho- it's a holistic choice. It's really great. Um, other things and also he put the bullets. And that's the, the next thing I was going to mention. There are yeah. two other really really clever clever things he does. Yeah. But it's not where, so when the song starts. That's where um, when it kicks in that high energy. That's when John Hamm and the girlfriend turn around and start firing at the cops. Yeah. And the opening barrage of bullets is in time with um uh with that song that yeah. um that bam 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 yeah it's like the the gunshots right what you may not know what you may not have noticed <laughs> <laughs> um is that carries on every yeah. time that beat happens in the song which is really yeah. it's um it's uh, a motif that the mm. that the song goes back to a number of times the bullets are still there, really low down in the me- in the mix. Mm. So they've edited it to continue that. So it's not just 
uh, a stab with you know the guitar, the yeah. bass, and the drums. You have a bullet sound as well, right. which really punches it. And it's, and that's throughout the chasing. And it's quite nice because uh, you can have bullets sounds without actually having guns fire. Right. Right. That's the nice thing. It's that's the equivalent of cuts. You know, it's like I can use this sound, but I don't actually have to film people firing yep. guns. Yep. I can use stock image of. Like, I, I, I can I can cover my shots as it were. It's a foot quite chase. literally. <laughs> I, but you know, it's a covering thing that you can do. So you can cut to someone shooting a gun, but you don't have to rehearse it to be in time like the one take thing. Yeah. Because the bullet sound is enough. The bullet sound tells the audience, oh, something's been fired. Right. Where it's you a foot chase with bullets being fired in the yeah. background. Yeah. And you never see the gun. Or and, not never, but you don't, you don't really yeah. see the, the gun. And also another reason why it's really exciting is Baby uh, has had his protective frame cut. So remember how we, uh, we mentioned the tiger in the cage? Yeah. His The thing that protects Baby from the danger is that he's in a car. Yeah. <laughs> the whole point of the foot chase is he's out of his car. Yeah. It's it's the chase scene again, but now it's on foot. I remember watching it thinking like this is brilliant. Yeah. You've essentially done another car chase, but he's not in the car. Yeah. You've given us a foot chase. So it's still baby driver doing the getaway, but it's just not in a car and we're waiting to see like how is he going to get out of it and how does he get out of it? He has to steal a car to get out of it, right? Because once he's in the car, they can't catch him. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fine. But it, how do you create all that? We've seen him do several getaways by now. We know he gets away once he's in a car. Mm. So how do you create the excitement from this? And it's like, well, I'm going to take the foot thing that you saw earlier. So we know he knows how to move physically. Right. We know. You know what I mean? It's we like, know he's coordinated. We he's know he's okay. coordinated. Yeah. We know he can do that. It's not just a thing that's in a car. <laughs> he knows how to move. And so as a result, when it, this happens, it doesn't seem like it's out of baby's capacity. It's great as well when you break it down like that because the open, I remember, I think it's the opening car chase, um, the longer one, yeah. where at, when he's in his car, he uses his surroundings as part of the action. Yes. Like, uh, so the way he gets away being in a red car is he pulls up between two red cars right. um, and manages to switch them around under a bridge and then escapes because yes. they're chasing the wrong red car. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, that's great. But he uses his surroundings on foot in the same way, yeah. right? He runs through a clothes store, puts a jacket on to try and look like someone else. Look like someone else. He's constantly trying to change how he looks. He's doing all the techniques he had. Yeah. He's trying to hide in plain sight. He's trying to turn left, turn right, zigzag away so they yeah. can't follow, so they can't turn around. And there's a great bit when he's taking the breath. Yeah. That's when he's taking in who's chasing him. There's people on foot, there's a helicopter. Yeah. Right, and then there's the oh, police he cars. He looks, doesn't he? He looks, and he takes note of everything that's chasing him, where he is, and that's when he starts to formulate the game plan. It's like, what's he do? He runs to a place where there's loads of people. He changes who, how he looks in the hopes that he can sneak out. He can't sneak out. They find him, so then he has to run, and he goes through cars, hides behind cars, everything until he can hijack a car, and that's it. Because his first plan is to get away on foot, because mm. he doesn't have a car. Yeah, but he that doesn't work. So now he has to <clears throat> steal a car. Which is the last thing he wants to do, right? <laughs> but he has to steal the car. So um, the, uh, the other thing, just quickly, was um, uh, is I only noticed it on second viewing. At the end of that scene, uh, John Ham's uh, girlfriend is shot, mm. um, and he reloads his gun to then fire on the police officers in a final stand kind of situation. But as he's reloading his gun, it goes to slow mo mm. and deep breaths. Mm. And the camera's just focusing on uh, on John Hamm down behind this car, and the music 
is also in slow motion right for that which yeah. is such a nice touch but you, you have to be um, so emotionally in tune with the music when you're yeah directing and editing yeah. or whatever to make that choice you right? think about it, like he, he has he has all these like top actors John Hamm yeah and it's like John I need you to do it this way in time with Hocus Pocus <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> I mean, how wonderful these actors are. Yeah. Like, John, John Hamm, like, when they're shooting the guns, those two actors, John Hamm and a woman whose name I keep forgetting, the two of them, they have their guns, bang, 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 bang. It's like, fire, fire, fire. Like, they have to yeah. do it in time with the music. You know? Yeah. I think it's just great. And that's great. Like, that's, there's a collaboration. Everyone has to work together to get this <laughs> thing working. And pe- Listen, John, baby, I know you were... <laughs> Don Draper, but I need you to fire your gun in time with the snare. Okay, <laughs> exactly. Those conversations. Are really <laughs> uh, but he's so it's and it's, and of course actors love this stuff. Like one of the things people don't get, particularly about Hollywood actors, film actors, is a film actor can give a fantastic performance, and if the camera is in the wrong place, they don't have a performance. Mm. They just don't get it. Famously. Uh, one of my uh, one of the famous example William Shatner's death in uh, Star Trek Generations as Captain Kirk. Uh, you hear William Shatner talk about the choices he made as an actor, mm. and the idea is like he looks and like for Kirk the great adventure to come is death, what lies beyond death, mm. and he goes and just before he dies he sees what's what, what it's all about, and he goes I thought he sees it and then he goes oh my passes away, mm. and you hear him say it and he goes they didn't get it I don't know why they didn't get the angle right I don't know what it was but it's not there on the screen what I did is not there and you watch it and I watched it again that scene I'm like yeah he's totally done it He that's a great performance Yeah. but it's not on the camera it's the camera's in the wrong place the lighting's slightly wrong whatever you can't see his eyes right you know that kind of yeah, thing yeah, yeah. so actors know that a bad director can ruin their career mm. by give, by either not giving them the right notes by filming it badly, letting the wrong choices sit on uh, in the final edit and so on. So when you have a director who you can trust, actors are just so happy to work with them. And I mean, he's he had a star-studded cast. He had Jamie Foxx, he had uh, Kevin Spacey and John Hamm, John Berenthal, these famous actors in B parts in the film. Yeah. Surrounding an unknown yeah. Right, which is the typical thing you do if you have an unknown star you surround them with a well-known cast uh, what's the really famous Superman example? no I was actually thinking of Butch Cassidy is it Robert Redford Robert Redford's another one yeah uh, the, the way the trick they did is they, they open with a one minute shot of Robert Redford's yeah. face just so you go he's a main part yeah but Christopher whilst Paul Newman's talking as yes well. exactly yeah. and he's not saying a word um, <clears throat> Superman had the same thing they had unknown Christopher Eva Superman but they surrounded him with Gene Hackman Hackman. Yes, and Ned Beatty and Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's it's the same thing. So he's got this cast around them and you and you can tell like how this is not a hugely expensive film. It's not a big franchise thing. How do you get all those actors? And it's like, well they've seen his other films. <laughs> yeah. They've seen his other work and they know how good he is. So they yeah. trust him because they know he gets it. Can you know, I just great ask the most important question then and good luck with this one go on um, what the hell do we take away oh 
Say, oh. if you're a writer director t- and you t- have no, a forty t- million budget. No, I t- no, but yeah, okay. But there is something to take away from this, which is a lot of people who write think it's up to them to finish it, and you—that's not the case. If you're running a screenplay, you're not supposed to direct it. There's a director. Yeah. And there's actors. You don't puppeteer people. You write the thing as completely as you can, but you leave. But you are aware that the next person to come along is going to improve and complete your work. That's the point of a collaboration. So, if on the other hand, if you're writing something for just yourself, then that means you also have to really pay attention to how you're going to do it. Like if you're a novelist, right, and you want to write a big action story, step one. How are you going to, with prose, effectively communicate the action sequences? Right? With prose. You can think about it in terms of mechanics. How am I going to describe this sequence? Hmm. And uh, you can't just presume I'll just type away. Say, no, no, there's got to be a way you can do this, right? There's different types of language. There's different types of pacing and rhythm. Do you want short paragraphs, long paragraphs? Off the, top, off that... the top of my head, <laughs> mm. um, it, it, using words in that kind of unusual way to get an effect, Chuck Palahniuk is uh, guy who wrote Fight Club. Yeah, um, is a master at using paragraphs. Yeah, he uses paragraphs for for pauses, ah. like for 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 beats, but like on a brand new line. So the 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 moment that you have to take to scan your eyes down to the next line, that's your breath. Right. Whereas yeah. you might get somebody like, um, you know, a, like Jane Austen, who would describe and kind right. of go into that beat. Whereas it's it's cinematic in a way right so that that's the thing it's like if you're gonna if you're a writer and you're gonna draw your own comic you're a writer you're gonna write your own novel make your own film direct it you know you you have to take all those stages and so you can pay attention it's like that's why you probably will focus on certain things in your life and you you know you won't have time to spread your wings as much which is fine there's nothing wrong with that uh, on the other hand, if you're someone who's writing and you're part of a collaboration, you're writing for theatre, you're writing, for, you're writing a screenplay, whatever, you have to remember that your job is not to finish everything. Mm. And so you have—I mean, you can't—you can't obviously just go like, "Oh, the director will work out the action scene, so I won't bother writing it." The actors can improv jokes, so I won't bother writing the jokes or anything like that. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is some comedies are in. Am I right? Yes, <laughs> but that's not what I mean. What I mean is, your screenplay is not the finished work. That screenplay has to be turned into a film, and you've got to. And you've got to. <laughs> Can I just offer a rewording on that? Yeah, your screenplay is a finished work. <laughs> it's not the finished. It's not the finished. It's work. not the film itself, and it needs it needs to be uh, understood that. Every time you write, I mean, and the other aspect of that as well is not just leaving room for people to innovate and to not to innovate, but to you know when you write something that the actors are going to bring something to it, mm. so you don't necessarily spell out the subtext, if that makes sense or whatever. You write it and you 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 make killer choices and are aware that people will make slightly different choices and yeah. so, on. and that's fine. Uh, but the other thing is you put on your producer's hat, as it were. Because sometimes you go, oh yeah, let's just do this, and you haven't thought through the logistics of having to make it. You haven't thought through what it's like to say that line of dialogue. It's this is a famous thing, people teach writers for theatre and film. Read your dialogue out aloud, <laughs> 
and sometimes you realize that there's you give lines that are essentially tongue twisters they're unsayable mm. and then what happens is they get on set and they change things and then the writer goes how dare they change my words so well, because you didn't do your work yeah right so you want to bring it as close to completion as possible uh, but it's uh, and you need to pay attention to what it's going to take to complete it but if you're not actually directing it and so on then there is a sense of just like um, you can kind of I guess in a way just not focus too much on the, that element do you know what I mean His... there's, there's going to be problems in directing and acting and, and drawing a work that needs solutions but they're not necessarily... You shouldn't be creating problems, if mm. that makes sense. But it's not your place to necessarily solve every problem, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah it's yeah, it's yeah. just trying to unburden a little bit. A question... <laughs> a question um, that, that I hear a lot from, <clears throat> from newer writers mm. uh, is... Like, should you take the setting? I'm talking screenplays here because novels, obviously, you can set yeah. it anywhere. Radio, you can set it anywhere. Yeah. Comics, you can set it anywhere. Although there are considerations for the artist, as you said, with like yeah. crowd scenes. But should you consider the budget of your screenplay? Well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. You're saying we should. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I I don't necessarily think so. If you if you. Uh, I mean, clearly, if 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 you know it's going to get made, then yes. But as as a first time screenwriter, the chances of, of that screenplay being made are mm. minimal anyway. Yes. What will happen is it will go to an agent and they'll say, "This is great. What else have you got?" Not well, not only let's that. Make this. If it's un- if it's un- uh, unproducible because it's so expensive, you- you'll get laughed out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll give you an example. You couldn't. Here, here's something you can take away. Baby Driver is not doable by someone who isn't a writer-director. It's not doable. And the reason is, if you wrote that screenplay, it would be thrown out because of the costs you've just put on it by choosing all that music you have to license now. Right. And you've made it integral to the story. And mm. it's constant, right? Yeah. It's constant. The first thing a producer would do getting that that screenplay is immediately cut any song that was expensive probably replace it with other uh, non like original work from a composer etc etc all that stuff would be gone and then when that's gone your director now is not going to cut your film to these pieces of music and a huge aspect of the meaning and substance of your work is now gone because you put way too much of your writing on an aspect of the work you're never going to do yourself right but a director a director a writer director can totally bring that to completion and a director could put that onto someone else's work if they see oh hold on i can do something here with this and mm-hmm. raise it up but if you but this is the thing is this is why i was trying to explain like this difference between writer director writer artist and so on there are certain choices that have to be made to interpret a work and if you're not interpreting the work you don't want to box in the next person down the chain i'm with you Unless you're unless you're intensively collaborating with them, you can't you can't box them in that way, and so it's not down to you to do that, if that makes sense. Mm. And so you want to kind of leave them room, but you don't create problems for them to solve, and you don't force them into restrictions that they can't necessarily stick to. Whereas a writer director, that's not the case because you have final cut, as it were. Mm. You know, if you you you're the last say, you get to, to make every decision you want. 
And so as a result, so yeah, if I want to have a crowd scene in my comic, but I have a crowd scene, I can do this, I can do you can you have every decision to make, and so you can you can merge these these two talents. You see, they're very different talents. It's about having a consideration for the next person in the chain rather than Yeah. Exactly. Like how expensive That's it. So like a lot of people who are writers but don't direct act like they should be the director and they put in things like Dolly shot, this shot, that shot. I remember I was reading um some um uh, uh, screen uh, uh, screenplays that were came from it. I was supposed to uh, do a small like judge some screenwriting competition yeah. thing, and I was reading the screenplays and like they literally had um, a song and the lyrics, and they would say when the song set gets to this moment in the lyrics, cut to this shot, yeah, like that, and they're beating it down. And I'm really, I'm just like, this is this is crazy because you. You, this is this is just a huge waste of your time, mm. because unless if you're directing this yourself, great, you need to be meticulous. But you're not. And if I was a director and I saw this, I'd be like, I'm not interested in directing this. You don't want a director. Mm. You just want someone. To, you you want me to go out and be a monkey for you. Like there's nothing here. And also, what's worse is the choices they made aren't very good ones, mm. because it's a it's not because that they're, they're they're not they're not good. It's because it's a different style, uh, just not style, different skill. It's a completely different skill set. Yeah, and some people who are really good at originating stories, um, they you know, <laughs> they can't even write prose. Right, you, you go, geez, you need someone to edit your novel. It's a really great idea, but you can't write prose. You can't string sentences together. You can't describe a situation effectively. Do you know what I mean? The story isn't the prose. The story isn't the screenplay. These aren't stories. That's how you communicate the story from yourself to someone else. And if you try reading a screenplay, like some screenplays are really great to read, but other screenplays are just dull to read, mm. okay? And this is a big thing in Hollywood. Like if your screenplay is dull to read, no one wants to make your film because no one wants to read your screenplay. But people who are sensible realize that the screenplay isn't the finished work. But for, for a lot of people, um, the screenplay is as far as you go. And so that has to be... So there's like a whole art in completing the screenplay. Mm. And uh, I just feel like it's, it's, a, it's a huge... It's a, it's, a, it's a time sink that isn't being spent on learning how to actually create story. You know? So. Okay. We done? We're done. Bye. Bye.